0: Hey everyone, it's Arnold with warm welcome. Welcome back to another episode. Today we're sitting down with Kevin Liang from Southeast Asia Food Group. Um, they're also internally amongst a lot of chefs in New York City, kind of referred to as a sea C-market, um, just because back then uh, it was actually an acronym for Southeast Asia, but it's kind of turned into uh, its own little thing. And... Um, Kind of a funny story about how I came to know um, Kevin and Southeast Asia Food Group is kind of how you see the Baldor delivery truck. So Baldor is a really, really huge food wholesaler. A lot of a lot of restaurants use them in New York City. Most, if not all restaurants use Baldor for some sort of purchasing. Um, they're, so Southeast Asia Food Group is like the Asian equivalent in some ways. They, they supply and stock a lot of Asian Pantry items, um, as well as a lot of produce that most of the Asian restaurants use. So I see, I've seen some of their vans in around New York City. It actually has a C market on there. Um, it's actually South. It's C is short for South Southeast Asia, uh, which was the name of their company until very recently, where they rebranded to Southeast Asia Food Group or SAFG. Uh, we'll cover that. A little bit in the podcast. But um, the reason why I wanted to bring Kevin on is because when we think about the p- pandemic and who it's affected, obviously for me, the first thing that comes to mind is, are, are the operators, the owners that were on my podcast, uh, that were on this podcast and, and they, they first came to mind. But when I think about the restaurant ecosystem, it's much more just than the operator, right? So obviously we're going to have the service staff, we're going to have the kitchen staff, of course, and those are the direct people that it affects in terms of a restaurant. But you have to think about the ecosystem, which is um, all the all the purchasing that's happening for a restaurant, right? So we're we're buying dry goods, we're buying we're buying paper goods, we're buying office supplies sometimes. We're also obviously buying from farmers and markets and distributors and importers. I mean, it runs the gamut and and it, it, it's kind of crazy when you manage a restaurant or you work at a restaurant, you look at the invoices that are coming in and it just it's it, it's the variety <laughs> the variety of Suppliers we're working with and the vendors is is pretty crazy. Um, not to mention, like plumbing is another thing. HVAC. I mean, there's just so many things. But um, I thought Kevin would bring a pretty interesting perspective into this podcast, being that he is a distributor and he, a lot of the guests that were on this podcast, he calls his clients, and I, I know that for a fact. A lot of them use Southeast Asia Food Group for some of their supplies. Um, and I learned a lot about Southeast Asian Food Group, what they do, kind of that supply chain, what that looks like, the role that they play in this ecosystem that I just mentioned. And, um, you know, obviously the pandemic affected them too, right? They used to go from 200 orders a day to seven, seven orders from 200. So it impacted them in a really, really tremendous way. And uh, he shares a little bit about that too. So, um, Without further ado, really excited to share this conversation from Kevin Liang, who is the CEO of Southeast Asia Food Group. And uh, like always, we begin with his upbringing and uh, where he grew up, how he grew up, things of that nature. Um, hope you enjoy this one.
1: Well, I was born and raised in uh, Lower Manhattan. Um, right now, that area is called Two Bridges. Uh, went to school at PS124. Uh, that's right, in Confucius Plaza. and Uh, Throughout my entire life, uh, even in education, right, in schooling, I've never left New York. Um, Went to Brooklyn Tech High School, went to St. John's University, and finished law school at New York Law School. So I never really had that like dormitory experience that most uh, people had (laughs) growing up in America, right? Uh, So my upbringing is is pretty unique in the sense that my father and my uncle uh, teamed up and opened up a grocery store, uh, right in Chinatown, right on Mulberry street. And, um, you know, I, I grew up, uh, stocking up shelves, putting rice right by the cash register. That's where we, uh, hold it to sell. Um, did the fruit stand thing, did the produce stand at a very young age. Um, when, when I say young, I'm talking about before I was even eight years old and yeah, and, and the reason why I could remember so vividly that, that it started before eight is because I'm eight years older than my youngest brother. So there's a time period, you know, that I could remember that he wasn't there yet, you know. And my older brother, who is only two years older than me, we we ran the cash register. Um, I was it, it, It's always so funny, right? Like I was probably seven uh, and he's, he's like nine. And he would he would run the cash register, and I would bag the groceries. And and at that point, we were already you know pretty involved in the uh, family business. Um, and I guess in hindsight, now that I'm a lot older, I'm 37. I don't know how it would feel going to a grocery store and you see a seven year old and a nine year old behind be, yeah, yeah behind a cash register and. And we, we actually enjoyed it. We, we really loved that experience. Um, we, after school, uh, weekends, we look forward to uh, being, being in the store. And I, I think part, part of that sort of built our work ethic and, and passion, a passion for, for business or be, being an entrepreneur.
0: I'm sure it taught you a lot, even at a young age of like how to deal with people, how to talk to people,
1: Right. Yeah, I I believe so. And I think um more interestingly is that I remember vividly there's this one uh, so so you know how all the uh refrigerated and frozen items are not tagged with the price usually because it falls off. Um I rem- and you know there's no barcodes back then or anything. I remember vividly there was this lady uh brought over a product and and my brother and I we looked at each other, we we're like, oh no, we, we don't remember the price of this product and I'm and I'm like let's charge her at like $5. Cause nothing else in this store, <laughs> nothing else in this store costs nearly as much, you know, cause you know, we're talking about like in early nineties. Right. And, um, so, so we did ended up charging her $5. Uh, and afterwards we felt really bad. We we're like, Oh no, what if she never comes back? What if, you know, she finds out that we, you know, overcharged her. Cause I think later on that day, we, we, after she left, we figured out it cost like only like two, two dollars or something like that. And, um, but, but the good news is she came back, you know, she, uh, she, she, she's a regular customer. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was, that was a fun, fun memory.
0: Oh man. Is that grocery store still there, man?
1: Um, so the interesting part is that the grocery store is still there, but when the pandemic, cause I guess a little bit more background is this, um, my father and my uncle joined uh, together, opened a grocery store. Then it evolved into a wholesale business. Then my father told my uncle, let's move this business to just wholesale. We don't need the retail. And then this is where the disagreement uh, came about. And my uncle said, no, we need retail and we need wholesale to supplement the retail. So then they sort of split ways. Um, so then, my my uncle continued continue to run the grocery store with a little bit of side wholesale, and we just in fact this is '06. So in 2006, that's when Southeast Asia market is born when uh, we just focus primarily wholesale.
0: Got it. So that's 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 what the, I'm, I'm glad you ex- you explained that to me because you know there's south there's <laughs> there's a, there's quite a bit of like businesses that I felt like could be kind of confusing. So the South Southeast Asia. Uh, market, you just said, right, is the wholesale arm of this of this company?
1: Well, I would say wholesale and the primary, because in 06 when we first uh, founded the, the business, um, it was just primarily wholesale, and wholesale meaning we sell to restaurants, catering services, corporate cafeterias, hotels, museums, etc. Anything that's food service related, that's our primary core of clients. Okay, and then what about Southeast Asia Food Group? Is there is there a difference there? The the thing is is that we we went through a branding issue. So Southeast Asia market initially was incorporated as SEA market for short. And at the time back back in 06, we needed to uh, you know get up and running as soon as possible uh, because of the break between. You know, my father and the, and my uncle, we need and a lot of chefs um, actually started reaching out to us and say, "Hey, um, the 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 grocery store wasn't handling the orders. They they can't keep up. Uh, service was dropping on that side. Um, that that's only because my 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 uncle was primarily and and he he only had investment interest. He didn't really operate the business, whereas my father operated the business and completely understood the business. So when. When he departed, the grocery store sort of went into shambles a little bit. And then, so we have to pick, pick up that slack that there's this huge demand in the city and that slack has to be picked up. So we opened up uh, or incorporated ourselves at SEA Market. And without thinking about branding or, or how people will call us, people started calling us C-Market. Yeah, even till today, people know us as C-Market. But the problem with the term C-Market is... Is that we don't sell lobster, right, <laughs> or, or fish, or, or or anything of that sort, and um, uh, and and we started getting a lot of inquiries. Hey, do you have branzino? Do you have lobster? Do you have soft shell crab? And we would say no, 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 no. And I said, okay, we need to rebrand ourselves so that um, so that people would know that we're we're an Asian food distributor, and that we don't have anything to do with seafood. Seafood is not our game. We're not familiar with that part of business. Right. So, um, so then we, we turned to LLC, uh, ditch SEA, uh, or Sea market and became Southeast Asian market LLC, but that that's not a big enough of a change to, to change people's habit of calling Sea market. And that's how we, very recently, I would say maybe last year, we dropped the word market and call ourselves a food group. Um, so now we're Southeast Asia Food Group. Um, and, and by the way, th- this is a DBA. We're still incorporated as an LLC at Southeast Asia Market LLC and DBA Southeast Asia Market Food Group. And with that, we did branding, new logos, uh, all of that. We, we actually haven't even finished uh, redoing all of our trucks, um, but, but now the brand is you know, just at Southeast. So if, if uh, we actually opened a retail store, so big bull print at the retail store, it just says Southeast. And we actually don't want really to focus on Asia Food Group uh, because it's just too long for people to say. right? Um, we just want people to call us, call us Southeast or Southeast Asia Food Group. And um, people still lo- love us at Sea Market. And uh, for the older clients who want to call us Sea Market, more, more than welcome to. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I think it's, more, it, it, it's, a, it's a branding issue that, that we have to uh, get, get through.
0: Okay. okay. I'm, I'm glad yeah. that we, we took the time to kind of iron out the details because I, yeah. I do see a lot of the sea the market trucks all around New York City. Yep. And um, yep. when I got to know you guys, I got to know you as Southeast Asia Food Group. So I'm like, huh, maybe, maybe Southeast Asia Food Group is like the parent company. And then you have mm. a, a sub brand. So that's, that's what, how I understood it. But I'm glad that yep. you were able to kind of clear the air. Um, yeah. Someone asked you though, what Southeast Asia food group was like, what would you, what would you say to them? Uh, in addition to being a distributor?
1: Um, it, I, I think what, who, who we are is that we, we support, uh, local businesses. We support restaurants, especially in this time period. Um, that's really our main focus right now. Our main mission is to support restaurants at, as best as we could. And, um, and through supporting restaurants, obviously we support all other food service uh, businesses as well, catering services, hotels, corporate cafeterias, universities. We, we do we we still do all of that. But I guess in this day and age, the 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 group that's really suffering the most right now are small business restaurants, and and um, my 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 heart goes out to them. Uh, I wish them well, and I'm I'm happy that things are picking back up uh, a bit. But it's still not at pre-COVID conditions, right? And even during the height of the pandemic, um, you know, we, we thought about um, like, what what do we do? Um, do we stay open or do we close down? Um, and and it was it was a very tough decision. Uh, for for me, I, I part of me felt bad that I was sending out my own people out into harm's way, right? And and this is this is a health risk. It's not. It's, you know, and, and, and it's a big, big decision to, to, to make, uh, at least for, for me, it was. And um, but, but then the, the core of the mission is that, hey, if we close down, uh, what would happen to all these restaurants? And if these restaurants can't find their food or can't source it or et cetera, what's going to happen to that community that that restaurant is in? And, and from that, from that thinking, right? We, we decide, hey, you know what? We, we have to stay open to support the restaurant and support the local communities. And what that would give people is actually a sense of stability. Cause I'm sure you remember back in March and April, it seems like the world is collapsing, right? Uh, everything closed down, businesses closed down. Um, no one know what's going to happen. News, news were being updated every 30 minutes. Something new will come up. Yeah, uh and and I and I basically told my team uh our mission is to provide that that stability and a sense of uh normalcy for for New York City. And and I think through this pandemic I think our mission and our purpose was actually uh a- amplified or became or became more clear to us uh the purpose of this business. Yeah.
0: That's awesome, man. And I'm glad that you, you took, I know that was a very hard decision, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad you took a fairly strong stance on, on what you wanted to do and really stayed you know, down pat. But um, even before we, we get into kind of what we're going through now, when and how did you, I mean, I know, I know you don't really join a family business, but did you go straight into this like after
1: college or? Um, so I finished law school. Uh, I was admitted New York and New Jersey. Uh, I did subrogation, uh, for six months and in the past, I I wouldn't tell people this, but I guess it's okay to tell people now after six months, I got fired, I got fired. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, after I I remember, I still remember vividly the, the day I got fired. That's the day I, I, I drove from the law firm was in Jersey. So I drove straight from Jersey to Brooklyn and I told my father, I said, Hey, you know, I've been wanting to help you out. And and. And you know, grow, growing up Asian, right? Your your father who opened a grocery store, who's in the food business, selling vegetables. They don't envision that their that that their child or you know would would do the same. They, especially, I guess all Asians will understand the the career path for us is doctor, lawyers, accounting, or engineer. Right? <laughs> that, that's so. Yeah, just pick one of the four. Right. Um, so so at that point he he was still against the idea and i sort of just in a way forced myself in for half a year i i basically worked without pay um and what what i did was just focus on building up uh accounting accounting system um and and that and that seems so like simple right like which business doesn't have quickbooks running right something so simple quickbooks and um but I could tell you back in 06, we have about maybe 35 employees, uh, maybe six to eight trucks. And the, the whole, the whole business had only two computers. And we have, and, and we have, we have one email address, which was not even at, you know, NY or at sefg.us; It was at Verizon.net, you know? That was our, it wasn't even AOL or Hotmail or, or Gmail or anything of that, right? It's at Verizon.net. That's the only email that we had. And then, um, you know, I say, like, look, I could really, r- really help out here. I could really be, be of value here. And, and so then I started do, doing that and, and work with the employees here, uh, really get, get, got, got down to nitty gritty, uh, learning the business from from the bottom up. And that's how I got myself into it. And this is in, uh, 20, probably 2011. Yeah. And and it wasn't, it wasn't hard for me to learn the business. Cause as mentioned before, i I've, I grew up with the business. Um, since I was seven, I was doing, you know, uh, the working at a cash register at the age of 17, I was already making deliveries. You know? Yeah. So, um, so it, it was. It, it, it's it's something for. It's actually easy for me to pick up because I grew up with the business. I sort of know the ins and outs already um, at that time when I decided to commit uh, full time to to this business. It it seems like
0: it came natural to you because you spent so much time with it when you're uh, even like seven years old. But the the one thing maybe you can help me help explain to me too because I I want to understand it better is kind of the the food supply chain, right? Because you as a distributor. Uh, I, I want to learn more about your role, like how are you sourcing ingredients and products and then selling that to to a client?
1: So basically, we are the middleman in this uh, supply chain. I buy from importers and uh, produce wholesalers, uh, and they 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 get it from the farms. So basically, with the Asian produce uh, supply chain the the wholesalers gets it from the farm. I get it from them and then I break it out and deliver it to the restaurants. And the value that we bring to the market is that we break down everything. So for example, let's say baby bok chok comes in at 30 pounds. The restaurant just wants 15 pounds or 20 pounds, right? So we actually break it down and distribute it out. Same thing with the importers. Importers will bring in, let's say, sweet chili sauce. They will bring in five container loads of it. We would take uh, half a container up to one container depending on the season and demand. But after we take that, we would break that down even more, uh, sell it by case, and we'll break it down even more by selling it by piece. Yes, and and the reason why it's valuable in New York City is because there's such a limit on, uh, on pantry space in, in the kitchen. And you'd be surprised, you, you might think, why would a restaurant buy a bottle a day or or a bottle of something and instead of buying a case, uh, long story short is because they don't have space and they're, they yeah, it's, it's true. It's New York city, right? <laughs> but, um, and, and you'd be even more surprised that my clients will order the same bottle every day. Yeah. So instead of, Buying six bottles, which will cover the week, or seven bottles, which will cover the week. Hey, I'll buy one bottle a day until, yeah, and and that's and and same thing with the baby bok choy. It's sort of like why would someone buy only fifteen pounds? You know, they for the restaurants they say, hey, I'll buy five pounds a day or ten pounds a day, and 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 we and we actually have a super low minimum order. It's like one hundred twenty five bucks, right? And we will make these deliveries. Every single day, except Sunday, which which some chefs and buyers would hear it and they would say uh, <laughs> that we should open on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, we we used to be seven days. We used to be yeah, but then uh, I decided that we should be closed on uh, Sunday.
0: I mean, I love that it's, first of all, I love the low, the low minimum. Cause is that, is that pretty standard? Like 125? It seems very low to me in comparison to maybe your competitors.
1: So, so the space that I, um, so sort of live in, it, it's sort of like, okay, I'm the middleman in this supply chain. Right. But in terms of competitors, um, it, it's hard for me to pinpoint a specific competitor. So I'll give you an example. Um, let's say a, a Japanese wholesaler. And some of these Japanese, uh, actually the importers and wholesalers, and some of these Japanese importers, they will actually break it down to the bottle too. Hey, you want one bottle of Japanese rice wine vinegar? Here it is, they, they would do it. Um, but then where our value comes in is that uh, because of the whole Asian fusion uh, trend in the 90s, uh, which sort of spread until now, a lot of restaurants, they don't just serve just Japanese, right? You want. I want that Japanese rice wine vinegar. I want that mirin. I also want the Malaysian uh, curry or the Thai curry, and I want something from Singapore and something from China, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? And that's sort of where our value comes in: is that we we don't just do one section of Asia. We we encompass like the entire uh, part of uh, yeah. The, the now I won't say the entire continent, but mo- most of the you know, uh, Asian countries. Um, and, and that's where our, uh, real value comes in. So we, we break down cases, we break, break down by pound. We have variety and we have a high number of what we call SKU. Uh, yeah. Excuse. Yeah. So thousands of them. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's always, it's always a, a, a game where we try to play in the sense of catch up. Are we storing enough of an item? you know, uh, sometimes you order more, then there's no demand for it. We, we order less and all of a sudden the demand spikes. So it's always a push and pull relationship.
0: (laughs) Oh, I see. So just, just to sum up what you, you told me the way it works would be the food comes, obviously it'd be like farm importer distributor restaurant if you had to. Okay. Big picture wise. And then a follow-up question would be, you just kind of mentioned something I want to get into more, would be the demand and supply. Like the, the, the supply and demand, I'm sure, is, is a game you, you play every day, right? Because you have to consistently see which, which products move and which don't. And so my, my curiosity is, how do you determine that? Is it just based on maybe feedback you
1: get from your clients? And then if things don't move, like what, do you, what do you do with it? It's, it's mostly feedback from, from clients. Um, and there are actually slots in my warehouse where I'm slotting one item for only one client. Yeah, or maybe two. There, I, actually if you walk through my warehouse, uh, I could get my guys to show. Okay, this is only for, or primarily for this client, and this is primarily for for another. And and it's um and and it's tough, right? It, it's tough in the sense of how do we forecast, but. On one side, it's easy to forecast. Like I mentioned before, like like some restaurants will order the same thing every single day, so we already have that in our data, in our historical data. Okay, this moves X amount per week, so that's the easy part. the The hard, the harder stuff is is more the seasonal stuff, the fresh produce uh, stuff that that seasonal, and also. I would say even the communication between clients and, and distributors. For example, let's say uh, I run a restaurant and I do a dish. So then they will call us, Southeast, hey, I'm doing this new dish. I will need this curry. Can you stock it up for us? Okay. We stock it up. Um, they, they tell us they need about three cases a week. So we have five cases in-house. And then all of a sudden, the chef's uh, realizes that you know what I don't want to do this dish anymore because either a seasonal change or something else all of a sudden we're stuck with five cases in the warehouse <laughs> and, and that does happen uh, pr- pretty often and then um, what do we do with it uh, donations uh, food banks and right now we have a B2C portal put it up on the B2C portal uh, at a discount and try, try to move it out and, and I also mentioned nonprofits. So, one of the nonprofits that I work with a lot is uh, Rethink Food, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Which they, they collect food waste from restaurants, from distributors, wholesalers, and then they repackage the food and, and send it out, send it back out.
0: Yeah. Great, great organization to work with for sure. Um, and then you just mentioned B2C, which I, I, I definitely think is an interesting pivot for you because I think pre-COVID when you opened the retail store in the, the market, the, the market line, uh, I'm sure it was kind of a full circle moment for you, right? Going from uh, working in retail sort of when you were seven to, to doing wholesale for the past you know eight, nine years. And then here you are, you're doing, you're doing a it's not necessarily a grocery store per se, but still it's a, it's a, it's a, customer facing store. So tell me a little bit about that and, and what made you make that decision to go into more B2C? Well,
1: like, like you said before, uh, it, it brought me full circle. So when I was presented with the opportunity, it was almost a no brainer. Um, uh, it's what I grew up with, what I'm comfortable with. And, um, and it's right in the lower East side, which is close to Chinatown. And I also think there's a, Demand, um, in that area. Uh, I, so, so around like, let's say the lancy Street area, uh, if you need to get Asian, uh, grocery, the closest place is really walking all the way to Chinatown and walking back. And there's actually a lot of uh, elderly people who live in that area. And when we opened up, they were so happy that we were there. Um, just, just because we had poison sauce, right? That they didn't have to make that trek all the way down to Chinatown. And 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 bring it back, and um, we also made it very interesting into sort of a snack shop. Uh, I think even more interesting too. And and you've mentioned you spoke with a lot of CPG uh, uh, producers, and and part of me want want to contribute in that space as well. Um, One, I I I tried my hand in CPG before. Uh, We did uh, Eaton's dumplings. Um, it's, it's a really hard game to be in. It's, it's, it's pretty brutal. And, um, so with that space, we basically stocked several locally made items. One of them is Eat Noms by Tony Wu, Sanzo by Sandro, uh, Nguyen Coffee by Sarah Nguyen, uh, Jablo is another one. Mr. Bing's chili oil is another one. And, and, and the goal is, is basically bring like a sense of community to, to the store, things that are locally made, basically things that could be made by your friends and family, right? Some, someone who wants to get their hands in, into, in, into the food business, right? And when we design out the store, we actually designed a demo booth in the back of the store so that, so that these CPG producers would have an outlet to speak to consumers directly and I think that's sort of the struggle with most CPG producers is that, well, well one of their struggle is getting into retail. You have to go door to door, speak to a retailer, hey, could you, um, w- would you buy my stuff? Would you showcase my stuff and sell it at your store, right? And from, from my experience and from what I hear is that a lot of these retailers are, what well, what they would say is, okay, sure, give me two cases for free. You know, and so they call that free fill. So then they get a free fill, um, and they would sell it. The retailer keeps all the money. So if if they got a box of twelve, they sell for five, they got sixty bucks. They're not going to hit the producer back with like thirty bucks and say, hey, hey, here's thirty bucks for your product. That doesn't happen. What the producer get is a committed second order. And that's when they start making up their loss. So most most of these uh, CPG producers, I would say they 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 operate at, at a loss at first. So what we do, what what we did uh, are doing at MarketLine is that you know what bring, bring in your product. Um, let's call it a free fill, or let's call it you know we, we buy the first case, right? But we're gonna have a booth for you in the back where you can speak to consumers directly and move the first batch of, of products. Right. And, and I think that's, that's very important for consumers because if you don't see something you recognize, you you, you don't recognize, you usually would just pick it up and and just go. Right. So I guess we actually call it a series of meet the founder series. So basically consumers get to meet the founders. Uh, we do, I think about two, two to three a month, but obviously COVID knocked knocked the whole, uh, series off, off the grid. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I mean, leading up to kind of mid March for you, like what, what was it like operating the market line? your, I mean, obviously your wholesale business I'm sure was, was, was doing just as it has been doing them that last nine, nine years, right. The past nine years.
1: Uh, uh-huh. I guess li- leading up to Bosch, the wholesale side, um, January was a normal month. February was pretty normal. I would even say the first week of March was pretty normal. And then, yeah, and then March 16th was the day where we, when we got hit really hard. And on the retail side, I think things were pretty stable, too, up until when the news came around March 16th, uh, where, where the market got completely shut down.
0: It's so it's so unfortunate because the mar- your your market it only opened in late November, right? I want to say
1: yes. I, I would say yes and no. Uh, the the I guess the yes part is that market line was open. Uh, I think a week before Thanksgiving Day, um, but but we weren't ready yet. Uh, we still had furniture to move in. Uh, we still have equipment that wasn't working, so we didn't open up our store. I think until December first. Or around there, and then um, from there, the market line was still pretty new. Uh, not many people uh, knew about it, so it was pretty pretty quiet. Um, but there were some weekends, uh, Fridays usually Friday, Saturday, Sundays were our busy days. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is pretty, you know, it's pretty slow at the market line. But as we're getting momentum, and then COVID came along, and that that was pretty unfortunate.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say. I felt like it was fun. You know, news was finally getting around about this this new space in the Lower East Side, and I felt like there was getting a little bit more foot traffic um, come February. And I think I think this 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 kind of whole pandemic derailed that. So um, this is such an unfortunate timing of events. But um, take me through now. You mentioned March sixteenth. Take me through that 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 kind of that day, that week, that month, because I'm sure it was crazy for you. You were probably, I want to say, you know, I, it, the you were probably the first to really get a sense of how serious and how real this was on a, on a, on a much bigger scale than maybe at the restaurant I work at, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, it, it was, it was tough, uh, leading up to March 16th. Um, so, I'm just looking at my calendar. <laughs> so I would say around March 13, 14, 15, I was already having, a, 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 I guess a very really bad feeling in my stomach of what I'm about to do. Um, we have 60 employees, and my first count my first count was, I might dismiss or lay off only about 15. And I spoke to, I spoke to another uh, business owner, uh, Steven from AquaBest. And, and he's going through the same thing. And, and I was you know, giving him numbers that are pretty transparent with each other. And I, I said, hey, I'm thinking about letting go 15. And he said, how many do you have? I said, 60. And then Steven said, I don't think that's enough. You know, yeah. But even on a day when I woke up, the morning of the 16th, I came in to work. And, um, my goal was still to lay off about 15 out of 60, which did not make me feel good at all. But then looking at the number of orders we had, looking at the numbers we had for the 17th, um, speaking with managers and everything, and, um, you know, we decided we ended up letting go about 45 all in one day on the 16th. Wow. So kind, yeah. of, kind of the other way around, you kept 15 and you, and you had to like go yeah. the other 45. Yeah. And, and the worst part of it is that when the 17th came, up, came around, we let go about six or seven more. And then we, our, our lowest headcount was probably on Wednesday, which is March 18th. We were down to seven people. Yeah, we went from 60 to seven.
0: And, and that's mainly due to just the lack of demand, obviously, with restaurants having to co- go on a, a full pause, oh, com- right?
1: Completely. On, on Wednesday, March 18th, we had seven orders.
0: Oh my God. As opposed to like how many you would, would you say pre COVID?
1: We, we would do about 200 and up.
0: Wow. And then we're down yeah. to seven? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a sizable
1: difference. Yeah, it, it 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 completely, like, I don't want to relive that experience again. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, take me through, uh, obviously, March, April was, I'm sure, very difficult for you and your company. But did you see it kind of bounce back a little bit come, you know, June, July, August, do you think? or? I
1: think everything, like, so much has happened. Um, everything is just a blur right now. Um, I guess I could take you back to, I guess, March 18th was, was, was seven. And I, I, I guess, I, I guess I should start from that point. Right. I met with the team. I said, Hey, you know, we're down to seven. It's foreseeable that on some days we would have one or none. And even at that point, I told everyone already that even if we have none, we're going to stay open, you know, and, um, and we and I guess it started creeping back up a little bit into the teens. And then we did, uh, I guess, what you call a pivot to B2C. Um, I, I don't see that as a pivot, only because it's something that we've been working on pre-COVID. Yeah. So it's something that, that we've been working on pre-COVID. And I guess a silver lining, um, Around, I, I shouldn't even say this as a civilian line because I feel so bad because so, so many people lost lives and, you know, it, it's just a very bad time period, right? Um, but, but I guess at that point in time, what, what it gave us was time to work on old projects that we didn't finish yet. And, and the B2C was, was one of those projects. And that's, that's why we were able to launch a website, I think by... Mid mid April or or early May, took took us about a month. Yeah, yes, and and some people would say, "Hey, you know, wh- why why did it take so long?" But if you think about it, in one month, we we basically made available to consumers over fifteen hundred SKUs. You know, yeah, you know, so. It's it's not it's not as easy as people think it is because people think of Shopify right? Hey, it's so easy. I just create a Shopify website. I didn't need a designer and and a beautiful page. But if you look at most Shopify sites, they sell like five items. You know, not fifteen hundred, right? So uh, we we were we were um, able to get that up up pretty quickly. But you know, I I think the the other bright part about um, you know going through this experience is that. I, it showed me that I had a really good team and I'm very fortunate for that. And I couldn't have gone through this if, if I didn't have them. Um, and, and that's the honest truth. Uh, for for example, I, I have a girl named uh, Carissa. She manages uh, my accounts, manages sales, and she has this entire price sheet of all of the items on the Google Sheet format. And for us to pivot to B2C, the website wasn't ready yet so what we did was we made that spreadsheet public yeah and then from there people were just ordering from the spreadsheet yeah yeah so um which which completely saved us you know and and we we basically use uh square uh to receive payment and and we were um during the peak of the pandemic we were backed up two to three weeks on on retail orders Yeah. But we're backed up not not because, oh, the demand was so high and business was so awesome. We're, we're backed up also because lack of labor, people didn't want to. Yeah. You got a skeleton crew too. Yeah. We have a skeleton crew. Right.
0: Thanks again. But I, I, you know, just, uh, people, people that are listening are either probably industry, whether they're chefs or they are, they're probably already ordering, ordering from you. But I guess if they wanted to, and if they don't order from you already, as a, as a business, how can they do that? And then as a consumer, how can they order
1: from you? To order from me as a uh, restaurant or host uh, or you know, to become a client, uh, go to safg.us and just click on create an account. There's a simple credit app. It takes like five minutes to finish, submit it, and someone will be uh, in touch with you shortly. With um, retail, the southeastnyc.com. And could order directly from there. Our turnaround right now is next day. So if you're in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, Bronx, it's next day delivery. Uh, if you're in Nassau County and New Jersey, it might take up to two days. So we're pre- pretty fast right now.
0: Hey, Kevin, thank you so much for, for, for sharing your experience and insights on, on, you know, on, on this whole situation, especially from a food distributor angle. It's, it's definitely a, a, a new take and a new angle that I haven't you know, been
1: exposed to. So I appreciate you. Well, thanks for having me on. I greatly appreciate it.
0: Well, that's all we have for you today. But I want to take this time to obviously thank Kevin. Um, Another side note is Kevin and his wife, Ina, actually delivered their firstborn, the first baby. So congratulations to you both. I can't imagine what it's like during this time, during these times especially, uh, to go through this but i i am so happy for you both and i'm uh it's, it's a new stage a new chapter of your of your life so again just the most sincere congratulations and if you are a consumer interested in buying from kevin and from southeast asia food group you can find their stuff online at southeastnyc.com offering next day delivery if you live in a new york city metro area so definitely check them out uh, worth a try i would say and um, if you had listened to the episode previously with Claire, I had mentioned how I just moved to Los Angeles and that the audio would be horrible. In this episode, uh, my part was a little bit echoey, and I apologize. I think I had maybe, uh, I don't know, one couch. Or TV stand in the entire room. So uh, sorry, (laughs) the sound is, it it was pretty bad, so I apologize. But thanks for tuning in. If you've you've listened through all the way till the end, I really, really appreciate it. Um, And um, I'll see you next week with another episode. So next Wednesday and Saturday will be some new episodes and we'll be diving a little bit more into some CPG founders. So consumer package goods that we talked about during this episode. Um, Well... That's it for today. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. This was Arnold with Warm Welcome.